welcome to the 12th episode of Digest Cast, a podcast dedicated to the belief that big things come in small packages. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, and along with me, as always, is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly. Together, we are known as the Pied Pipers of the Man Children, and we are proud members of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. How you doing, buddy? I'm glad you said, as always, because uh, I have to say, everybody, uh, for those of you who are following my personal life on social media, uh, since the last time Shag and I recorded, I have moved to a new location. I am now recording from a, of a brand new apartment, and I have a whole new setup, and I was planning on taking off more time than uh, than hers would be scheduled, and then I heard Shag's episode with uh, the precocious princess, his daughter, <laughs> and I really grew scared that I was going to get pushed out of the network. So I am back sooner than expected. So uh, thanks, everybody. She she was she was ambling for it. Um, she had a she had her lawyers drawing up contracts and she stuff like great. that. She was great. She was great on the show, and it was fun to hear an episode where you clearly like your co-host. That was a fun <laughs> change. So. I really am like I don't want to get. I need that sweet Patreon money. So I was like, I can't, I can't get, I can't get Robart out of the network by a thirteen-year-old. So I'm back. And uh, I did get a taste of my own medicine though, because she kept interrupting me, and uh, it was, it was like this is what must be like podcasting with me. So. <laughs> I feel for her. I need to do a show with her so we can compare notes. Oh my goodness! Well, you know, we are talking about maybe a sequel to Buffy, uh, another Buffy show. So uh, you, I know you're a fan. So that oh might no, work. it's just her and I are just going to just trash you for an hour. That's oh, uh, you need more. Than, you yeah. need more than an hour. But. <laughs> well, it's a series, Shay. It's not just one episode. I mean, come on. <laughs> As long as it's under the FW uh, presents banner, I guess I'm okay. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to see its own like unique <laughs> logo or any that crap. <laughs> it's rag on check. Oh, God. Anyway, moving on. So, folks, welcome back to Digest Cast. Um, technically, this is episode number 12, but you may remember we did a whole bunch of .5 episodes, and those .5 episodes is where we covered the modern Marvel Digest that came out a couple years ago. Which uh, which we were played a hand in creating, so I'm very proud of. <laughs> but today we are going to cover our very first classic, classic, as my friend Rob says, Marvel <laughs> Digest. So if you don't know, Marvel t- dipped their toes in the Digest world. They did uh, Transformers, they did GI Joe, they did Spider Man, they did Star Comics, and they did a handful of Dennis the Menace Digest. I I might be missing a few. I'm not entirely sure, but they didn't do a lot. Do you, did you also – I mean I know you got obsessive about the DG, DC Digest. Did you buy a lot of the Marvel ones? No, I really didn't because at the time I never saw them on the newsstand. Like mm. I don't know where these things got distributed because I certainly never saw them. The, I, I've talked about that there was one store that consistently carried the DC Digests. That's the same store I bought my uh, my beloved spinner rack from. Uh, but they never had the Marvel ones. So I don't, I don't know where these things ever got sold. I mean they must have been sold somewhere, but I never saw them. Well, I've heard a lot of people talk about the G.I. Joe Digest. Like they have fond memories of those. So clearly they were out there mm-hmm. somewhere getting into people's hands. So um, now there's uh, – I think it's fair to say there's a little bit of difference between the quality of a DC Digest and a Marvel Digest, <laughs> wouldn't you say? Yeah. I, I, you get the sense from the, the Marvel Digest that well, not a whole lot of work was put into these things. Um, I mean first of all, they are part of the um, – they were done by like that flexographic printing process, which – had a lot of bugs in it, um, mm-hmm. so the printing um, is is pretty pretty bad in some cases. Actually, the book we're about to cover is is not that bad compared to some of the others. And if you have um, any issues of the Spider-Man Comics Digest, which I have, 
it, those things are almost unreadable. There's so much color dropouts and big splotches and things like that. And mm. there really were – again, except for this one that we're going to cover, there weren't really like a lot of special features. Uh, they really were – I mean as, as Shag just talked about, you can tell that Marvel was using these mostly as just a, a way to um, – Get the licensing out there. I mean, Spider-Man, obviously their biggest character, Jai Joe, Transformers, Star Comics. They were they weren't really, you know, they weren't really uh, dipping so far into the Marvel universe with these things. So no, they're not particularly uh, really great to look at. The one plus I will give them over the DC Digest is, of course, by the time Marvel started doing Digest, you had Mando paper. Which was that slightly better paper stock, a little oh. whiter. So I these, didn't that. Okay. these pages, the Marvel Digest, are whiter paper. If you look at DC Digest, my God, it looks like you're that, that's newsprint, and that that stuff is dishwater oh. gray. Uh, I can see the difference. I'm looking at uh, yeah. this one versus um, what is this? The Sergeant Rock one. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so the Marvel ones age a little better because the paper is still a little whiter, but uh, but yeah, you don't get the sense there was just a whole lot of. I think it was just like, hey, you know what? We want to get into the Digest game, throw some titles together of our of our big our biggest things, and, and put them out there and see what happens. And none of these Marvel titles lasted very long. And one of the frustrating things, too, is also the size because, you know, I'm holding, again, the Sergeant Rock one we did last time in my hands, right? And the reprint is – they don't fill the entire page, but they, they get as big as they can kind of reasonably fit it on the page. Whereas this Marvel Digest, like there's a whole bunch of white space, lots and lots of white space around yeah. it. They could have really made this whole page bigger. And so you've got the issue of it's smaller. The I don't know whether the Marvel lettering is just smaller or this particular comic is, but my God, the words are small in this thing. I, um, I I just recently bought a pair of progressive lenses because I'm old. Finally, I finally gave up the goat and got one. Uh, and Michael Bailey calls them digest lenses, by the way. <laughs> but um, I couldn't even use those. I had to I had to bust out a pair of readers and like do the old man thing where you put it at the end of your nose and try and make it you know enlarge it as big as possible just to read the print because I mean the words were so freaking tiny and crammed together. And as you said, the printing it's not all that clear. So I, I struggled with the – this book reprints two issues, really. The first issue was harder to read. The second issue seemed to be a little easier to read. And it may be, too, that they, you know, one was shot from a copy of it and one was shot from the original pencils. I'm not really sure. But uh, there's definitely some challenges there. Yeah, the, the, the one concession I have sort of made to my uh, ever-encroaching age is I just can't read Digest anymore in their original format. I just can't. My eyes just won't. <gasps> they just won't do it. And so I'm reading – I'm rereading all these when we do them for the show off of scans because I just – I want to be able to zoom in and look at the artwork. And uh, I own every one of the DC Digests. Um, they are now on a big shelf here as I'm talking in my new studio. Um, but I can't – I can look at the artwork but I can't really read the, the word balloons anymore. The, 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 the times they are a change. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Now we're going to peel back the layers here a little bit. A couple – you know, whenever we started this thing, we, again, we were doing the .5 episodes. And I would read – we would read these Marvel Digests, right, with the, the, the new versions where they were reprinting like old Avenger stories and stuff like that. I was reading those stories on my tablet on Marvel Unlimited. I'd be like, okay, it reprints Avengers number four. I'm going to read it on Marvel Unlimited instead. Right. And I got made fun of. For doing that, people say, "Oh, you're not being, you know, faithful to the digest format because you're reading it that size." And now, Rob, you, sir, are not being faithful to the digest format. The man who claims to have supported the digest format, walk your butt down to CVS and buy a pair of two times readers, sir, and get with the program. No, I'm not going to do that. And uh, B, 
there's a reason why I have a show called Treasury Cast because the comics are bigger. <laughs> it's easier to read them. <laughs> I did not know that show was a concession to your age. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. All right, well, before we get too much further, we should take a second to thank our sponsor. And this might just tip the hat of what we're covering here today, folks. I don't know. Um, or you just folks, read the show notes. You just, you just oh, saw the, it yeah, on your phone. It's true. Anyway, <laughs> folks, this episode of the Digest Cast is sponsored in part by In Stock Trades. Uh, the in Stock Trades is your best source for uh, trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions online. All of these for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, uh, each episode we bring a title related to the digests in some shape or form. Rob, what is your pick this time? Uh, well, one of the stories we're going to be talking about features Spider-Man and a guest appearance Woo-hoo. teaming up with the main stars of the book. So I picked Spider-Man by John Byrne Omnibus Hardcover, uh, which reprints pretty much every Spider-Man story drawn on uh, or written or drawn by John Byrne. Uh, it also features other writers like Bill Mantlo, which is great. And so it reprints stories from Marvel Team-Up, 53 through 55, 59 through 70, and 75, plus issues of Amazing Spider-Man, Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, Spider-Man Chapter 1, Amazing Spider-Man, and something called Authentics, Amazing Spider-Man Number 1. I have no idea what that is. Page count. Stand back, everybody. 1,264 pages. Jeez. I don't even know how you could pick this up. Uh, the normal <laughs> price is $125, but in-stock trades price is $72.50. That is 42% off. Uh, this is just astounding in the cover features Spider-Man and then some headshots of his supporting characters. So if you love John Byrne and you know you do because John Byrne was, for a time, the coolest, uh, you're going to pick these up, especially, again, the Marvel team-ups because this is Spider-Man teaming up with other characters, which is one of the things he was best at. Uh, that that sound you just heard in the background, folks, was the listeners at home throwing their phones against the wall as Rob read out the list of uh, titles in that ominous. Yes, uh, the Marvel team-ups are beloved. However, Chapter 1 is uh, regarded by many people as the worst Spider-Man saga of all time. So <laughs> there's a lot of anger. Uh, towards that John Byrne reboot of Spider-Man. So no, be... just don't read those stories. Just read the Marvel team ups. <laughs> I mean, it's a thousand pages. You're not going to get through all of it anyway before exactly. you die. So. Exactly. <laughs> uh, my pick, folks, uh, since we're talking about Marvel Digests, is Transformers Classics Trade Paperback Volume 8. So... <laughs> was that the transforming noise? Is that what that was? <laughs> yes, it was. I thought you were just having a seizure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old. I told you that. Wow. Okay. So uh, this volume eight specifically, folks, this is kind of cool. This collects a lot of the old Marvel Transformers stuff, right? And this one, it, it, I read the Amazon review. It's not specifically a comic book really to read. It is – if you know anything about what's called Transformers Universe, it was this four-issue miniseries. It was basically who's who or more, more specifically the Marvel Universe version for the Transformers. It gave you like an image of the character, gave you a couple of different shots, and told you sort of their origin, their abilities, their weaknesses, that kind of stuff. So this volume collects the Transformers universe issues. Uh, it also includes a bunch of character biographies from a bunch of uh, Transformers issues that were done at the time. Also includes the first G.I. Joe and Transformers crossover series, which is pretty cool. And uh, includes some issue notes by a guy named Mark W. Bellamo. And I guess if you're a big uh, bothead, maybe you know who that is. But I don't. Anyway, uh, <laughs> this particular collection was printed by IDW. And uh, it's got, well, I assume a lot of different writers and artists. But the cover is by Guido 
says Guido Guido. So that's kind of interesting. Anyway, a page counts 312 pages, full color. Normally retails for $29.99, but you can get it for 30% off, so you can get it for $20.99, which is great. I loved the Transformers Universe comic books. I bought them. I thought it was a fun collection of stuff. I, I'll, I, you know what? I'll save some of that discussion for a little bit later. I got more to say on that. Anyway, so pick those up, folks. Please go out to InStockTrades.com and support them, and uh, we appreciate their sponsorship of the show. This episode of Digest Guest is also sponsored in part by you folks at home, folks, with your Patreon support. Because, you know, running the Fire Water Podcast Network with so many shows and Rob's crippling addiction to moving and new girlfriends and things like that requires a whole bunch of money uh, and to pay for the online hosting and those kind of services. Now, for the past three years, uh, we've we've sort of absorbed that cost as hosts, but the costs have grown considerably, and uh, we got a shocking new bill just recently, didn't we, Rob? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, we've uh, – Ryan's gambling debt came up. Anyway, we uh, – so we launched a Patreon to help pay for these things, and folks, you guys have been wonderful and supportive, and we sincerely appreciate it. And if you're enjoying the Digest cast, the best way to support the show is by visiting patreon.com slash fwpodcast and consider supporting the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And at certain sponsorship tiers, you'll get mentioned on your favorite Fire and Water Podcast shows, just like these folks, such as David A. Scudier's and Gore Tolton. So go out – and visit patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And if you're a Patreon supporter, hang around to the end of the show. Got something to talk about. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right, Rob. So we've we've danced around it long enough. Please tell the folks at home what we're covering. <laughs> we are covering Transformers Comics Magazine number two. Oh, dear Lord. Uh, this, was, this was the second issue of a ten-issue series reprinting uh, the Transformers comics basically in order. Number one reprints one and two, and this issue reprints number numbers three and four. And you got me these as a gag gift. I did. I bought uh, you this as a gag gift. Yes. We, even did, we did a really cute like Facebook picture where we each were holding it up. And <laughs> That's right. And uh, I, these were sitting uh, to the side of my computer for, for like a year. And every time we would do an episode and we would talk about what we're going to cover, I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that. And then I decided, duh, the hell with it. Uh, especially since post-Patreon, I have dipped my uh, toe into the uh, Transformers pool. I've covered Transformers over on Treasury Cast with Derek William Crabb. And, of course, I did the audio commentary uh, for the first Transformers movie with Ryan Daly, which was our The live-action movie. The live-action movie, yes, which was our first uh, Patreon rewards show. By the way, I should just mention – so far, I'm the only one that's uh, fulfilled the rewards that I promised everybody. All the rest of you guys have not. Just want to say that I have the JLI show slotted in. I know exactly where it needs to go. Well, so that's just as good as it being done, of course. It's uh, in the very near so. future, but I've got a major storyline coming up. <laughs> Don't care. So anyway, <laughs> this Transformers comic. You just want to talk about John John Ogden Styers? Come on, David David Ogden David Ogden Styers. Uh, but but yes, Transformers Comics Magazine. I love the ungainly title. Transformers Comics Magazine. Like, right. what, like what, why can't you just call it Transformers Magazine? Or better yet, Transformers Digest. Right. It's why not is, even magazine sized. Why is it called Comics Magazine? But nevertheless, that's what we're covering, which is, again, issue number two. I picked this one uh, because, again, this is one of the ones that Shay got me. And we could have done number one, but I like this one because it's got Spider-Man in it, which is like, you know, if you're not a Transformers fan, there's at least that to kind of hang on to, no pun intended, is that you have a guest appearance by a you know Marvel superstar. 
Now, now to be fair, I only bought you this one. I didn't. I don't, if you've got a number one, that didn't no, come from me. No, you bought me two. You bought me another. I issue. Did not. Yes, you did. I bought this one. This is it. No, the other another one. Was probably, one. I have another one somewhere. That's fine. I bought you this one. I don't know where that is. It's probably a gift from Derek, and you've forgotten, and you're making oh, him feel bad. Probably he's probably home crying oh, in his Transformers jacket. I don't want to ever make Derek feel bad, so I'm sorry if I forgot whoever got me that other issue. I have another one. I sure as hell didn't buy it on my own. <laughs> Well, I bought you this one because I had Spider-Man. That's okay. exactly what All I did. Right. So, okay. Anyway, I do want to give a shout-out to our buddy Derek Crabb from the Fan Holes Podcast because he actually had me on back in 2018 to discuss my love of the Transformers and my youth with it on uh, Fan Holes Transformers Tuesdays, number 39. So if you want to hear some chocolatey goodness where we talked about the very first Dreamwave miniseries about Transformers, you should check that out. Now, I do want to give a little bit of background on this. So, all right. Interesting stuff uh, about Transformers in the comics. You know, number one, the number one issue of the comic, I bought off the shelves when it came out. It actually came out four months before the first episode of the cartoon aired, which is crazy. You know, so when you think about it, that they, they timed these releases uh, not to sync up necessarily. I guess the toys were already on the shelf. Like, I don't know what motivated me to buy it. It had a painted cover. Uh, and maybe I had heard about the, the toys or something. I don't know because the cartoon is really where, you know, I, I fell in love with it. But – um because the toys, again, the toys are in 84. We don't know exactly what month. I couldn't seem to find any reference to that. Uh, most historians, uh, t- Transformers historians, suggest the toys, the comics, the magazine, or the, sorry, the toys, cartoons, and comics were all planned as one big release. And interestingly enough, it was actually a year after GoBots. So GoBots came first, and yet Transformers far outstripped its popularity. Now, you mentioned about uh, the series. What's interesting is it started off as a four-issue miniseries. And, it, you know, had the, you know, Marvel always across the top would say, like, number one of a four-issue limited series. You know, that was their thing. Is DC had miniseries and Marvel had limited series. I don't know if you remember that or not. I do. So it gets all the way to number four, number four of a four-issue limited series, and like the last page says, oh, no, we're going to keep going, and they just kept publishing from there. (laughs) Uh, In fact, it went on for some 80 issues, seven years that title ran, which is crazy. Uh, and, and I bought them off the shelves myself and, and probably, uh, the best cover was actually number five, which is this, I gave you a link, click that link. You've got to see that. And so uh, I've seen that cover. It's a great cover. Okay. It's a great guy. Co- yeah. And we're not covering it today, folks. I'm sorry. But number five is like my favorite cover ever with shockwave. It's like, it's almost painted anyway. Uh, so you already mentioned the digest ran for 10 years and, um, it's interesting when you 10 step issues, back, look, not 10 years, 10 issues. I'm sorry. 10 issues. Yes. I'm so excited, you know. And uh, the Transformers spans four million years of history, so I just get so wound up in it. So uh, the whole idea of incorporating – having Spider-Man in here is interesting because Marvel had a history with their licensed properties of incorporating them into the Marvel Universe. They had done this before with toy-related stuff. You know, like in Transformers here, you get connections with Spider-Man, the Savage Land. They they eventually introduced a character called Circuit Breaker who appears in Secret Wars 2. But Marvel had done toy line connections for uh, previously for Shogun Warriors, for Micronauts, for Rom. I'm surprised they never tried to work Star Wars into the Marvel Universe some way, shape, or fashion. Oh, <laughs> well, but it seems like they would. I, um, I think you maybe had a little stronger hand on the tiller on that one. Hopefully, yeah. So, uh, yeah, just like those Java issues, huh? Anyway, so uh, I mentioned Transformers <laughs> Universe earlier when I did that uh, in the in the. Uh, in Sock Trades ad. Well, Transformers Universe, this four-issue miniseries, again, it's like a who's who are Marvel's universe. It actually wrapped up the same month that this digest we're going to cover came out. And they actually include, in this digest, you said there's some extras. That's what they're ta- what Rob yeah. was talking about. Yeah. There are nine, essentially, who's who entries for Transformers in this book, which is kind of cool. So we'll talk about this as we get to it. Now, I just have to share, because I love me some Transformers. Uh, growing up, I desperately wanted an Optimus Prime. My mother saw the price tag and laughed at me, the same reason I never got a Millennium Falcon. But instead, I got the little cheap, cheap, cheap trans. 
Transformers. They were these little ones called mini bots, and they were super cheap, and they were designed to be small and inexpensive. I had Cliff Jumper, uh, I had uh, uh, Brawn and Huffer, and I, oh, I can't remember the other, Windjammer maybe. Anyway, but uh, I just got to say, Kmart represent baby. You know, there was a Transformer named Huffer. Yeah, he's in this book. You don't, you didn't notice, but yeah. Okay, like. Okay, isn't that like what kids do when to get high? Is they huff? Isn't that a thing? Uh, nowadays? Yeah, back then he was a little like orange pickup truck kind of thing, <laughs> or, or or like a little tiny semi, one or the other. <laughs> All right, wow. Or maybe he's supposed to be a tow truck. I don't know what the hell he is. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well, Rob, why don't you take us through uh, the beginnings here of Transformers comic? Or sorry, the Transformers comics magazine number two. Yes, Transformers comics magazine publication digest. Periodical number two. Uh, of course, again, from Marvel Comics. It was cover dated March 1987. It was on sale December 16th, 1986, which is two years after the original uh, issues were published. The cover price was $1.50. Uh, page count is 64 pages. The cover is basically the same cover you see from number three, which is just mm-hmm. this drawing uh, of Spider-Man swinging on. You see a bunch of the Transformers. There's some minor notations. They got rid of the cover corner symbol. That doesn't hear, appear here on the digest. And then there's this weird thing on the front. Which yeah, is, it which is weird. Is I know exactly where you're going. All the Marvel digest. It was a little box, and it says, Attention retailers, for retail display announcement, please see page one. And uh, first of all, there is no retailer announcement on page one. I exactly. Know, I know what they're talking about. <laughs> and second of all, like you really had to slap that on the cover. You couldn't just include like a piece of typing paper with that note to the – like. You literally have to mar the cover of the comic to give an announcement to the news vendor? Like, exactly. They don't about? trust the news vendor enough. Exactly. Like, like you would think it would say inside, display until, you know, yeah. March 1st or something. Nothing like yeah. that whatsoever. It's like, what the? <laughs> so I don't know what that's so about. So weird. So anyway. Now, by the way, you, you said Spider-Man is swinging on a Transformer. Dude, that's Megatron. Okay. Okay. Not that he looks consistently the same through any of these issues, but that's, that's Megatron. Okay, right. Uh, I wanted, didn't want to make sure I get it right. So, okay, so this, this reprints Transformers number three, Prisoner of War, again, originally on the shelves October 2nd, 1984. The writer is Jim Salakrup. The penciler is Frank Springer. The inkers are Kim DeMolder, one of my former instructors, and Mike Esposito, letterer Janice Chang, and the colorist is Nell Yamtov. All right, strap in, everybody. The Decepticons have succeeded in capturing Sparkplug Witwicky. I won't see already. From the Autobots in order to force him into converting Earth's fuel sources into the kind that the Decepticons can use to refuel themselves. At the Witwicky garage, the energy-depleted Autobots begin to pick themselves up. Optimus Prime vows that once they have returned to base and repaired themselves and refueled, they will go and rescue Buster's father. Sparkplug tells Megatron that he needs specialized equipment and Earth fuel attempt to convert, so Megatron sends out Starscream, Soundwave, and Rumble to collect the supplies that he needs. The rash of attacks gained the attention of both the U.S. and Russian governments, S.H.I.E.L.D., and the Daily Bugle, who just happens to send Peter Parker to cover the story. Unable to get exclusives conventionally, Peter slips away and allows his alien costume shape into his Spider-Man costume to get in for a closer look. As the Decepticons become aware of the military's presence, Megatron sends Starscream Thundercracker great name laser beak buzzsaw rumble and frenzy to deal with them the military finds themselves outmatched by the decepticon superior firepower spider-man meanwhile happens to spy the autobot named gears on a recon mission thinking that he's just like the decepticons attempts to stop the autobot from reporting back to optimus prime 
However, Spider-Man realizes that they are on the same side when Gears saves some reporters from being crushed by a tank thrown by Thundercracker. Spider-Man agrees to help the Autobots sneak past the military blockade. The Autobots engage the Decepticons. However, they also face opposition from humans who cannot tell the difference between Autobots and Decepticons. Inside, Sparkplug has completed his work and comes up with a method of converting Earth's fuel into, into, Earth fuel, into uh, fuel suitable for Transformers to use. As Spider-Man wraps Megatron up in webbing, Gear grabs Spark, Gears grabs Sparkplug. However, Megatron easily breaks free of the web and announces that Sparkplug's usefulness is up, blasts the ground out from under gears, sending the two falling to their doom. Spider-Man jumps down after them, shooting web lines to catch both gears and Sparkplug. Sparkplug is saved, but gears' weight causes the line to snap, and like Gwen Stacy, sends him falling to his destruction. <laughs> Bringing back everyone, including gears' remains, the Autobots are confused by Sparkplug and Spider-Man's very concept of death. Much to their surprise when they return to the Ark, and after Sparkplug is reunited with his dad, Spider-Man and Sparkplug witness as Ratchet re- repairs and reactivates Gears. Spider-Man then departs. Back online, Gears has some grim news. Sparkplug gave the Decepticons the formula the Decepticons wanted, much to Buster's horror. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> now, before any of you write in and go, wow, Rob really has embraced the Transformers so much by writing that recap. Oh, no, I we- stole that. Yeah, Rob and I both decided we threw up our hands and completely stole these recaps from the Transformers Wiki, yeah. tfwiki.net. Yeah. So it's a no, great I'm, site. I'm, I was not going to rewrite All credit this. to them. Yeah. No, completely. This is this is very plot-centric. I mean, that's a dense plot for yes. a short comic. So, yeah, there was no way I was going to write all that. So thank you, Transformers Wiki. So uh, what would you think? Well, okay. It's, it's, it's awkward – that Spider-Man gets shoehorned into this thing. Okay. Uh, but it's, it's you know, I mean, he was the ambassador of the Marvel Universe. It's no more ridiculous than Superman meeting Santa Claus or the Masters <laughs> of the Universe. I mean, that's what those characters were. So yep. in terms of how you get, how they rope Spider-Man into it and that there's this big battle and the Daily Bugle is there to cover it, that's actually pretty clever. You know, I mean, if you got to find a way to work Spider-Man into the Transformers, Jim Salakrup did a did a good job. Um, I do I, – look, I mean, I think I have – I think I've grown as a person uh, in 2019 <laughs> and 2020 and that I do not just call the Transformers boxes hitting boxes. But I had a real tough time with this story because it was just – to me, I, other than Megatron and Optimus Prime – I just have a hard time just telling who is who and what. Like, just to me, they really look very indistinct from one another. So I had a little bit of a tough time just kind of like following what exactly was going on. Part of it was because I didn't read the first two chapters, I'm sure. Well, uh, if I can step in there, uh, I, w- I would add Gears to that list of characters that sort of got fleshed out. You know, okay. Optimus, Megatron, and Gears. But beyond that, yeah, they really – there was a whole bunch of them. There was a ton of Transformers in this thing. And it, the bad guys kind of like – didn't, none of them, nobody had distinct personalities. Uh, they all were like, either if they're good, they're like gung ho, let's go. And if they're bad, they're really bad. And that was about it. So, as much as it pains me to say it, especially with the art, I mean, Frank Springer's a great artist, but this is, it, it is kind of boxes hidden boxes. I mean, I, yeah. I hate to say that, but there are things to love, though. I mean, I was very excited. It's in Portland. It is sort of ludicrous, though, to say that they mail, that they sent, sent someone from New York. All the way to Portland to take some pictures. I mean, <laughs> it's a little crazy. But uh, – and then oddly enough, so Spider-Man here has his symbiote costume, the symbiote right? costume, yeah. Which is sort of 
weird in that it's actually this is actually came out a couple months after the original issue that is came out a couple months after he ditched that costume in uh, because the, the the symbiote stuff had come alive and he'd already had the nightmare so he was back to the red togs by this point so that was it was a little weird with the coordination and uh so and here's an example of like sort of the clunkiness of this so on page 20 of the digest all right uh, you get Gears and Spider-Man. They, they've broken into the the Decepticons headquarters, right? They fight Prowl, which is the big panther-like Transformer, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then they go up against Soundwave, which is a fan-favorite character. Right? He's the one that transforms into a jam box. And they go up against Soundwave, and you get two panels of – you see Soundwave, and then you see Gear sort of like tap him in the arm. And then the next panel, Gear says, your, distract, your distraction – um, wow, it's hard to read this. Your distractions were of great value. Soundwave is seldom so easily beaten. He, ta- he, t- he tapped him in the arm. That's, that took that guy down? Really? Okay, I guess when you got to fit nine panels on the page, you don't really have much time to show the fight. So it, it's a little hard to follow. Like I, I had to go back and go, wait a minute. Did, did he beat Soundwave? Really? Okay. So it is boxes hitting boxes and isn't all that well executed, unfortunately. I think part of the thing is when you're writing these Transformer stories, and of course, again, I'm really not speaking from any position of authority here, but that's never stopped me before. Is it, I do I did find the nine panels per page, which virtually every page has that, makes it just extra hard. Like I think if you're going to be drawing these characters in every panel, you need to have bigger panels just to me, so the storyline is is just it's easier to follow and so i would say that the story probably needs to be a little less dense so you can just open it up a little bit that was something that i remarked upon in the transformers treasury with with derek was that there were some pages that were like full page like poster shots Mm -hmm. that help open it up a little bit but not only is it just a lot of characters i'm unfamiliar with there was also just a lot of tiny panels where with a lot of stuff crammed into them yeah absolutely um by the way buster and spark plug in this um, do you realize who they are in relation to the movies? Well, the, one of them is uh, Shia LaBeouf. Sort of. He, he's technically Sam Witwicky. Right. Um, but he's essentially a stand-in for Buster. Yeah, right, basically. Right, right, so right. I kept waiting for Buster to go, no, 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 no. But, uh, <laughs> pretty sure I had to get it from somewhere, right? But – um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the majority of what I had in this issue. I, I wanted to love it more. I lo- I did enjoy Spider-Man. That was fun. And I felt like he was Spider-Man. You know, I didn't, sometimes you read it and you're like, yeah, it doesn't really feel like him. This felt like him. And, and I liked how, uh, Salicrup crafted a script in that it, rather than Spider-Man hanging out with all the Transformers throughout the whole issue or hanging out with Optimus, which would be the obvious one. He hung out with this other guy named Gears. Which, by the way, was one of the mini-bots. Not the one I owned, but anyway. Uh, so having Spider-Man hang out with Gears the whole time was kind of nice. I like how they made a connection. That was that was kind of cool. So, all right. Well, um, you want to go in? So next, what, after this issue ends, uh, it goes into the Transformers Universe entries. So we get four entries for different Transformers Universe characters. And, Rob, you want to take us through those? Yeah, it's uh, ironic that we can't escape who's who even when we're not doing who's who. It's, <laughs> stuck right back to it. So, yeah, there's four listings here uh, in between the two stories. There's uh, these sort of uh, tra- oh, hot moves style pages for Mirage, Ravage, who you just mentioned, which is the big uh, you know tiger panther type character, panther. Yeah. Uh, Hound, and Starscream. And it's sort of funny because if I was look, first of all, uh, the print on these things is actually much larger. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the words, you can actually just read these right out of the digest. And one of the things I thought that was funny was that these listings are written in a style more similar to. Uh, the DC, the, the who's who, the, the loose, loose leaf 
uh, <laughs> stories in that they have a little more character to them. Yeah. I'd say a little more like the Mirage one opens up with uh, Mirage is not thrilled about being with a bunch of rough and tumble freedom fighters like the Autobots. Like you really wouldn't see a line like that in the original Who's Who or in the Ohatmu, but you might see it in the Loose Leaf. Because it's just Fair got enough. a little more yeah. of a thing to it. So I thought that was interesting. And then you have these panels where you see Mirage standing there as he looks. And then you have him in, in his uh, car form. Uh, Ravage, again, is the giant. But we, we, yes. we should be a little more specific. So okay. he, the car he turns into, it's sort of like a, the kind of car you'd see like a racing in yeah, a motor like a race car. car. Yeah, yeah. He's got yeah. like the spoiler behind him and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got, you've got Ravage. Uh, I love his <laughs> Allegiance, Decepticon. Nickname, Cat. Okay, sure. Right. Function, saboteur, which is again, I, that's usually that's uh, that's Ryan's job here on the network. Uh, so we've got we've got Ravage. We, there's reprinting a panel, and he, we see him jumping. Now he turns into a cassette. Right, which is interesting here. So <laughs> w- the way this works, several of the characters would transform into cassette tapes, like old school audio cassette tapes that kids nowadays don't even know what they are. But <laughs> anyway, and and here's part of the problem with Transformers also is. They could never be consistent with size. So Prowl right. is as is, is big as like an enormous, like larger than life panther. It's like Battle right? Cat from, exactly. from He-Man, yeah. And it transforms into a cassette tape, like <laughs> legit cassette tape. That weighs tape. six tons. Right. And, and it goes into Soundwave's chest and he like spits out all these cassette tapes. And so Prowl <laughs> comes out and all these other like other guys are a ravage, not Prowl, I'm sorry. Um, so anyway, it's it's fun. Yeah, I love his weaknesses. He's very sensitive to light and can be blinded by too much of it. All right, good to know. I think it's kind of cool that they included weaknesses. Yeah, actually. no, I thought, I thought that was a very yeah. sort of toyetic kind of thing to do. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, so then you've got Hound. Oh, by the way, it does mention the first appearance for all these characters, and they're they're all first appearing in uh, Transformers number one. Uh, so at least for now, that changes for now. For now. Uh, so then you've got Hound. Hound would just as soon be sniffing around the Grand Canyon or Big Sur. As he would a secret Decepticon base. Oh, that's kind of nice. He enjoys, <laughs> you know, tourist spots here in America. Uh, so we see him there, and he's a the blue and green robot. And then he turns into a Jeep with uh, kind of like laser turret gun on the backside of him. So that's that's his sort of, sort of thing. And then Jeep, Jeep represent. Yeah. And then finally, you've got Starscream, who I admit is a really sharp looking robot. He actually looks a lot like one of the Shogun Warriors because he has these wings that he's, he's uh, red, white, and blue. He's got these wings that pop out on the side and these guns that stick down. And then he turns into a jet, uh, hence the name Starscream. And it says Starscream overrates himself sometimes and finds himself in situations that are more than he can handle. His nosedives often overload his gyro circuitry, leaving him disoriented briefly. But overall, he is a very tough nut to crack. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, no, they're fun. This is a great – This is. I, I mean I we, we said earlier that I, I sort of felt like these – I just – they Marvel didn't put a whole lot of work into them. But this is a nice little bonus thing. Uh, you know, they could have made these, they could have knocked eight pages out of the, out of the digests and just made them thinner, but they actually took the time to go into the separate Transformers book and put these in here, which I think is a nice touch. Well, a signature 16 pages. So I think they kind of were stuck. They had to fill the pages somehow. I guess so, yeah. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, it's very, like, uh, by the way, Starscream, very important character in the Transformers mythos. He's basically second in charge to Megatron. Okay. And he's also the one who's always trying to uh, sabotage Megatron and take over control. So Starscream – and Derek does a great impersonation of Starscream, by the way. It's, it's hilarious. He's got this really high-pitched – I can't do it. But um, – and, and so he's, he's a he's an important character. But I, I do like the picture of him because the perspective is – 
like human scale. Like you're you're looking up at him. Mm-hmm. Like the feet are really big because they're closer to you. As in a body gets smaller as it goes up because he's so tall. So I like that aspect. I thought that was clever the way they did the perspective. But um, so yeah, these all come again from the from the Transformers Universe comics, which were a super fun read because as we said a minute ago, when we read issue number three, the characters didn't really have a lot of personality. They were just good guys did this, bad guys did that. But once I read these, you really do get a sense for the characters, if they're a real person. And in fact, uh, the entry on Mirage talks about what a snob he is, okay? And uh, as, because he, he's used to the finer things in life is kind of what the deal is. Just like and, myself. Well, I, right, sure. Um, <laughs> and anyway, so as we get into number four, there's actually a scene with Mirage, which would have gone right over my head. Where he, he makes sort of like a reference about how he should be chipping in or like things or, or, or like things better or something. I don't remember exactly what he says. But in having read the Transformers Universe entry, it resonated for me. If I hadn't read the Transformers Universe entry, it was so minor I would have blew right past it and I would have thought, oh, no personality again. So I think the guys were trying to lace personalities in here, but if you didn't know the personalities already. There's just not enough time to establish them all because there's so many characters. So I, at the end, the, again, I guess what I'm trying to say is the universe entries added a lot to the book for me, and I'm glad I got the chance to read them again. Yeah, it's, it's a, I, I, it would have been really cool if uh, the DC Digest had featured some Who's Who pages. That would have been – I mean it would have been nigh unreadable, but it still would have been a cool little bonus. Yeah. By the way, I should mention uh, when Derek and his friends uh, do you know Transformers Tuesdays, they actually did a uh, sort of who's who style on the Transformers Universe comic, and they they claim that they stole our who's who format for that. So, <laughs> if you like Transformers Universe like me, you should check out those episodes. So, all right, let's get into the next issue, Transformers number four, The Last Stand. Originally presented, I'm sorry, originally uh, originally on the shelves, December fourth, nineteen eighty four. Writers Jim Salakrip again, pencilers Frank Springer again. Now we've got different inkers, Ian Aiken and Brian Garvey. Uh, letter John Workman and uh, colorist is Nelson Yamoto or Yamtov. Yeah, Yamtov. Yeah. Yep. And again, I stole my recap also from uh, tfwiki.net. So all credit to them. Some of the Autobots accuse Sparkplug Witwicky uh, – no, 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 no uh, – of betraying them by giving the Decepticons the fuel conversion they needed. Panicked, Sparkplug and his son attempt to escape. But when Jazz blocks their path with a wall of flame, Sparkplug suffers a heart attack, and he's rushed to the hospital by Ratchet and Buster. Then Huffer uh, – I told you, Rob mm. – Huffer tells Optimus Prime about the discovery he's made in the Ark's memory banks. Just after the ship crashed, its barely functional computer – and keep in mind this is four million years ago uh, – detected that the Decepticon shockwave had arrived on Earth in pursuit. With the last of its power, the Ark modified five Autobot warriors to combat him, thus creating the Dinobots. And they traveled in a shuttle to the Savage Land to confront Shockwave, at which point contact was lost. Huffer has Ratchet dispatch a probe to search for the lost Dinobots. You know, you think about it. That's four million years ago. I mean, that's it's, you're really hoping to find those things. That's all pretty old. Anyway, at the hospital, Sparkplug undergoes emergency treatment and dreams of his army service in Korea, where he was forced to repair North Korean vehicles. He further recalls sabotaging those vehicles. Now, back in the present, with no new fuel services forthcoming, the remaining Autobots are forced to make a desperate gamble to fight the Decepticons one last time. All the Autobots sacrifice their remaining fuel resources to Optimus Prime, Huffer, mm -hmm, Ironhide, Blue Streak, and Mirage. These five prepare to fight the Decepticons within the volcano the Ark has crashed into. The Decepticons arrive to destroy the Autobots once and for all. 
And then in the Savage Land, Hopper's probe has found something and starts to dig it out until a giant purple hand crushes it. Now, although the Decepticons begin to win the battle back in Oregon uh, by virtue of their greater numbers, at the moment of apparent victory, the Decepticons all fall, writhing in internal agony. As it, uh, he reveals to Buster the hospital, Sparkplug had corrupted the fuel he provided the Decepticons, and they were now poisoned. Optimus Prime proclaims that uh, the debt that they and the entire world owe to Sparkplug Wiki. But then suddenly, a giant blast from above knocks out all the Autobot troops, and Shockwave stands supreme. And it says, not the end. Which was a big surprise. Again, this is the end, issue four of a four-issue limited series. It says it right on the cover. But when you get to the end, you find out it is not done. They're going to continue on into further issues. Whew. So what would you think? Uh, I had kind of some, some of the similar problems, just keeping track of things. Uh, I actually really... Uh, as hard as it is to read, I sort of enjoyed the John Workman lettering because John mm. Workman's one of the best guys to do it. I actually found that a little easier to read. It was There's, easier to read. Yeah. There is some printing problems. There's the one scene in the in the bar where they're looking at the humans are looking at the TV and like all mm-hmm. the humans are like bright yellow skinned. It's, just, it's <laughs> yeah. just miscolored. Uh, I did enjoy the cheesecake. There's some cheesecake in this. All the girls in their bathing suits. Let's the, Well, no. Technically, they're ballet out. Well, they're ballet. Well, all right. right they're ballet Let's out. talk about that. Okay. How old do you think Buster is? Uh, he's drawn to be like a kid, like a little kid. He looks to be about 12, yeah, right? Yeah. But we do see him behind the wheel of a car at one point. Mm. And so maybe he's 16. However, you just mentioned the cheesecake, the girls in their ballet costumes. That is all a setup for Buster's girlfriend, who we also saw in pre- issue three previously when he's kissing her. Um Dude, Buster may look 12. Buster's girlfriend looks like 25-year-old hottie swimsuit model. Well, just like so. the movie. Megan Fox is supposed <laughs> to be a teenager, and she looks like she's 25 years old. There you go. So the, maybe, that's where the, maybe that's where the Megan Fox inspiration came from. Because, yeah, yeah, Buster's girlfriend is, whoa, folks. I'm sorry. Just, right. wow. So, uh, she's all grown up. Um, I also just like the one single panel of uh, Megatron going, ha! I thought that was really good. That would that would make a great T-shirt. Uh, and then there's just some nice there's some nice uh, panel designs here, like the one where uh, Megatron Megatr- or no Starscream c- converts from the jet back to his robot, and it's like all done in these little like slices mm-hmm. of panels. Yep. Uh, and you see the 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 colors change in the background. Like that's a nice little effect. So there's some there's some nice stuff here. But again, I still had the same kind of like. Wait a minute. What's going on? Who is this? What you know? So it was both sort of the same thing. But although, again, I did like the final page of Shockwave standing supreme. Like it's a nice big panel. You can tell what's going yep. on. So all right, lots to talk about here. Like um, I liked issue four better than issue three, even though issue three has got Spider Man, which is great. Uh, which by the way, I think probably caused all kinds of problems uh, initially when different companies wanted to reprint Transformers because oh, Marvel, Marvel keeps getting around. bitten in the ass by that. Right, exactly. That's why I'm never going to get Micronauts. Uh, anyway, so uh, no matter how many times they promise it to me. But I enjoyed issue four better. I, th- I felt like it just flowed bo- better. I felt like the action was a little bit better. There was more going on to, to, to sink my teeth into. Now, a, a couple different things. There's some things to sink here. Uh, to, I'm sorry, uh, things to know. Like at the end here, right, uh, um, the, the big shock ending where Shockwave blows everybody up is basically the last page and a half. So supposedly there's this infamous alternate ending that was drawn claiming that uh, just in case the series didn't get picked up for a fifth issue, like if it was going to end issue four, it was instead going to be like Optimus giving this big inspiring speech and that was going to be the end. 
uh, and then supposedly, no, no, we got picked up, so they finished it this way. Now, I've, I've read all kinds of Transformer head, bot heads arguing like crazy about which was the truth there. I don't know. But either way, it, interesting to note that there at least there are an alternate version out there where the story just ends. Um, did you notice uh, the flashbacks to the Korean War? Anything interesting there? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, yes, the flashbacks of the Korean War, yes. I mean, what, what, what are you referring to specifically? Really? Okay. When I say it, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So we're, we're getting flashbacks of the Korean War, and, um, you know, spark plugs, are like, remembering all of it. And one of the things they said was they were on their way to the 4067 MASH unit. Oh, you know, okay. That makes, I, I did. Did you miss that? No, I saw it, but I didn't, I thought, well, why? Why did they write for like? It seemed like it was almost a joke, but not not a joke. Oh, there's no way that was an accident. There's no, no I know that, but I mean, why not just make it four oh seven seven then? Like, why did I they make it still on the air? Maybe they didn't want to get sued. I don't know. No, uh, Mash was off the air long after this, before this. So yeah, I, that, it just seemed weird that it would be. Although you know, it's so it's kind of funny if you look really close at the at, at the the lettering. At that what, pa- what page is this? Th- that panel that you're talking about. I know, but what page? Uh, what, it's, uh, I don't know. Fuck, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> sorry, about, sorry, everybody. It's on the bottom of the page, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, uh, well, I'm looking at – again, I'm looking at this. Okay. Uh, well, here we go. Okay, it's page, uh, 37. page 37. 37. Yeah. It says 4067 mesh unit. If you yeah. look at the six, it actually looks a little different than the rest of the lettering. I would nah, say. Nah, so, nah. I don't know. Okay. I think they're just trying to make sure it doesn't look like a G. Maybe so. I, I think it's the writers trying to be cute without putting too obvious a tap on Maybe it. So. I don't know. Maybe so. Anyway, I thought you would appreciate that. I do. Um, so there's this whole other thing, too, in here, which is really disturbing to me. Now, I know the last issue established that Transformers don't really die. You know, they, they can get rebuilt even after death. But in here, there's a big energy crisis, right? And then all the Autobots step into the tubes of transference and... You know, an unnamed specific number of Transformers basically just sacrifice all of their energy for these five Autobots. They just – they basically commit suicide off screen so that these five Autobots can have the last remaining energy. And I'm – you know, how does that lottery work? Draw straws? You know, mm-hmm. whose who's action figure sells the best? You know, it just – that's an uncomfortable sort of thing. You know, I'd be a little like, uh, I'm not so sure about this, guys. And uh, anyway, and it's nice here. We also get to mention the Dinobots. Everybody loves the Dinobots. And again, it was supposedly another thing they added uh, once they knew they were going to go on to a fifth issue. They're going to mention the Dinobots because then subsequent issues will introduce the Dinobots. I don't know if that part's true or not, but I just love that they mention them because everybody loves Grimlock, which is, by the way, a terrible impersonation of Grimlock. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I, I found it a fun issue. I, I enjoyed number four more than number three. So, All right. And I want to see more of Buster's girlfriend. So, um, all right, then we get into some more Transformer Universe uh, pages. So, first one is Swoop, which I said everyone loves the Dinobots. There you go. Swoop is an Autobot Dinobot. He transforms into a pterodactyl. And as you read the entry, um, he is. Uh, he says he's good natured, but he. Uh, but it's hidden beneath the for- this form, this this tr- pterodactyl form that apparently frightens all the Autobots. Everyone's scared of him. And as I'm reading this, the thing jumped out at me is they talk about he's got these missiles that are equivalent to. 5,000 pounds of TNT, and he carries a thermal sword that gets up to 4,000 degrees centigrade. (laughs) I mean, these are serious weapons of mass destruction. Like, what purpose do these things serve other than killing and destroying things? How did did the Autobots and the Decepticons not destroy the entire Earth within like five minutes? I I don't get that. 4,000 degrees is very hot. (laughs) 
So, but you get a nice shot of him. I, I love uh, as you look at Swoop, how uh, he's got you know like a red chest piece sort of thing, and it, it, his knees are actually like little tiny uh, pterodactyl feet uh, sticking out of his knees. Rather hilarious. Uh, they, they look like uh, they look like Kermit the Frog's legs. If they're yes, colored they do red. Look like Kermit flippers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <they do. laughs> All right. The next one is Ratchet, who is our Autobot ambulance. He's also the doctor. He's, he's the guy who takes care of everybody. And uh, I, his nickname is Cool Hand Lube. That's which, funny. Uh, All right. I got to admit, that's funny. It's very funny. And also, I don't think you can say that nowadays and get away with it. So. <laughs> well, you can't say Grease Finger either. <laughs> Probably true. That's his other nickname. I didn't even think about that. Anyway, uh, he is known for having, and I didn't know this, rough language and rough manners. And he uh, talks back to Optimus more than the rest of the guys. And he's a party animal. I did not know that about this guy. <laughs> so he is the Ryan Daly of the Transformers. I was thinking Guy Gardner, but okay, maybe so, maybe so. Uh, the next one you get is Shockwave. Who, uh, Shockwave's awesome. I love Shockwave, mainly because you know he shows up for one panel and knocks out all of the Transformers, and then he gets that awesome cover on issue number five. So he's totally badass. So he's a Decepticon. Now, here's the interesting thing. All the other Transformers, the way this works, and Rob didn't read the first couple of issues, but when the Ark crashed on Earth four million years ago, uh, when it eventually wakes up, it scans all over the Earth looking for the dominant robotic life form. And it decides cars and planes are the, are the dominant robotic life form. So it literally reconfigured all the Transformers so that they could transform on Earth and look like cars and stuff, which also changed the robot bodies. So here you've got Shockwave, who never went through that process. So Shockwave actually looks, I think, more like alien robotic than the rest of the Transformers because he never went through that sort of uh, being made to look Earth-ish. So he's got a weird-looking face where it's just this little dot. He's got this cool chest unit that juts out. You know, the gun he transforms into is like a weird alien gun. So I always like Shockwave's design because he looks the least Earth-like of of the Transformers, I felt like. So I, I think that's cool. He looks like he weighs like 40 billion tons. He just Probably. Looks huge. And then again, he turns into a gun. Yep. Well, who holds that gun? Galactus? I mean, who could hold this thing? He, he can he can fly around on his own and blast things. So how? He, well, it says here he is second only in power to Megatron. And, and we see that where he took out everybody in this digest, right, in one shot. And he's apparently very cold and logical. He's kind of like an evil Spock, really. Um, so I, I just – I've always loved this character out of all the Transformers. I don't know a whole lot about him, honestly, but I just loved his design and his, and his cool badass appearance. Then we get Sunstreaker, who is an Autobot sports car and a prick. Um, <laughs> he has this out-of-control ego. It even – in here, this is the comic book for kids. It calls him a sociopath. Um, so he's the Ryan Daly of Transformers. Right. I, I, I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> anyway, um, he thinks he is the most attractive design of all the Autobots, and uh, he even wastes time to be admired rather than fighting bad guys sometimes. And he's nasty, sort of like jealous nastiness to other sports car Autobots as well. And it's just, it's kind of funny, but he's apparently also a tremendously powerful fighter as well. I don't remember this guy at all. Um, but yeah, here he is. Then, and he's yellow by the way. So, and then you get Soundwave. Now everybody loves Soundwave. He's the Decepticon jam box. And uh, I once made the foolish mistake of bad mouthing him on one of our shows. <laughs> And the comment thread turned into an entire attack on me about how much people love this guy. I didn't know how beloved he was. So he is their communications guy, as you would expect with a jam box. He can do transmissions, recordings, all this kind of stuff. And it's interesting as you read this because they really describe him as a blackmailer. He is the ultimate opportunist and will use anything uh, in his ability to advance his position with Megatron. It's sort of interesting. And as I already mentioned, all the other uh, like little tr- – 
Decepticons transform into cassette tapes and they'll shoot out of his chest like pew, pew, pew. It's funny. And this guy had the coolest voice on the cartoon. It was all robotty and reverbity kind of thing. It was really cool. And it sounded nothing like that, by the way, in case you're wondering. So anyway, and the last thing in the digest is I and I love this, is an ad for Star Comics. It says all your favorite friends every month in their own Star Comics. Which Transformers and, is not a part of. Right, true, but but it's but here here's who is. It says reach for a star, and on this same page, on one page in one illustration, you get Lion-O from the Thundercats, you get He-Man from the Masters of the Universe, you get R2D2 from Droids, you get Peter Porker the um, spectacular Spider Ham, you get Heathcliff, Care Bears, and then two freaking characters I have no idea who they are. But where else are you going to get Lion-O and He-Man and Peter Porker all hanging out together with R2D2? That's pretty sweet. We have the dog, right? The dog is yeah. The dog is top dog. Uh, oh. Yeah, that's the dog with the net. And I don't know who the little elfin guy is, but yeah, you'd have to go all the way back to like Mego to like see this, or no, the Power Records to see to see all like these licenses yeah. smooshed together like this. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I love it. It's not it's not the most attractive ad in the world, no. but it's fun to see all the people together. So. I feel like George Lucas saw this and was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> all right, so. In conclusion, Rob, it's a lot thinner than a DC digest. Yes. Um, what, what, you know? How'd you feel reading it? It's, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really is just a reprint of the series in order, yep. as opposed to sort of like a curated thing the way the DC digests were. But you know, I mean, it was a licensed product, and Marvel probably wanted to, you know, get all the money they could out of it, and so they decided, well, let's use this to. To get into the digest game, now obviously it didn't work for it's, them. It's, it's an early, it's an early form of trade paperback. Yeah, really. basically, and it obviously didn't work for them because it's only lasted ten issues. The Spider-Man one didn't last that much longer. So you know, they did, I don't think they put a lot of effort into it, and they didn't get a lot of they didn't get a lot back. So it was a brief little attempt to see if Marvel could do digest, and then they quickly decided, no, we're not going to do it, and that was pretty much the end of it. But you know, it's hey, it's, it's worth trying. It was a fun foray for me to dive back into this. Um, it, it does sort of remind me how far Transformers comics came because I read a, a lot of the Dreamwave. I read a few of the IDW stuff. And they, and you've now read the Treasury, which was, I think, IDW, right? Yes. So the storytelling really does improve quite a yes. bit. And they really develop the characters into characters, uh, which is nice because at this point, there's not a lot there. And again, the, the, Mar- the, the Transformers Universe entries really helped me flesh out what I was reading, and I felt more for the characters when I, after reading them. So that helped, but uh, you know that, that Transformers Universe came much later than the first four issues of the comic. So uh, it, it, yeah. So anyway, it was fun, but um, I, I don't know that I would run right out and try and buy all of these. And I just wanted to point it out that I have now covered the Transformers on three separate shows of mine. Well, didn't you do something on the? You you, you did. Have you not done one on the animated movie yet? No, I did. But I mean, I'm saying I did a film in water. Oh, okay. Well, I sat I there and a... watched it with you. That's what I'm confusing. Yes, I thought I you did, did a show on it too. Okay. No, that's, yeah. that, that was yeah. reality, Shag. Uh, I do. I did. But I'm just saying I've now covered Transformers on film and water, Treasury yep. Cast, and Digest Cast. So, you know, come on, everybody. I've, I've done my bit. I now open it up for a Saturday morning fever, uh, and a uh, invite. I'm inviting you on to Chris's show for <laughs> those wonderful toys, so you can talk about it there too. <laughs> Fair enough.
All right, folks. Well, we are going to take a quick podcast promo break, and when we come back, we are going to cover your feedback from Episode 11 of Digest Cast, where we talked about DC Special Series number 18, Sergeant Rock's Prize Battle Tales. We were not supposed to leave. Four million years ago, two armies were stranded on a world not their own. Waking in the modern day, their ages-old alien conflict revives on the planet Earth. Scouring this new world for resources and safeguarding the native life from their war, their one goal remains. We have to go back. The stories of these Autobots, Decepticons, and humans were published in the United Kingdom in a weekly comic book and broadcast as an animated series. And now there will be a podcast exploring these chronicles in their entirety. We have to go back to Cybertron. Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast, coming October 31st. And we're back from break, and yes, we are going to cover your feedback, guys, from last episode. It was our Veterans Day special where we covered Sergeant Brock's prize battle tales, and it was an awesome digest. Oh my god, it was so good. So our first comment comes from Martin Gray from the Too Dangerous for Girl blog. Martin writes, top episode. Nice one, boys. I think I'd like this digest. I did look up the ghost story and read it online. Loved it. I thought it twists and turns were terrific, and it's truly a charming piece. I especially like the bit about the ectoplasm. Explains why the spooks could click glasses. Remember, that was the one where we, we jokingly said it was like 50 pounds of story in a 10-pound bag. Or something <laughs> yes, like it was. Yeah. It was a fun story. Uh, and Martin says, we used to play in an old underground gun emplacement slash pillbox in, lo- in the local cow field as kids. Such fun. Oh, my gosh, Martin. That's crazy. Uh, and then he says, I never realized the unknown soldier had an origin. I'd never seen such intense work from Jack Sparling. I definitely like his art. And, hey, he used to draw Eve Doramus. I don't know who that is. And I also love the use of photographs on that splash. Yeah, I don't know who that is either. He said it like we were supposed to know. I was like, I, I don't know who that is. Martin says a lot of things I'm supposed to know, and I don't get it. But um, he's just too smart for me. Anyway, yeah, I totally agree. That Unknown Soldier that story was oh, so good. Anyway, he ends it with, I'm also a shag on adoring the genre anthology of DC Digest issues. I'm especially looking forward to the UFO one, if anyone is unavailable for that one. And what, he, what he's hinting at there, folks, and I've mentioned this on previous episodes, but many years ago when we decided to launch this series, I went on a huge buying binge and bought a whole bunch of digests, and I – bid on some uh, one particular one, a UFO Digest on eBay, and out of all the people in the world, freaking Martin Gray beat me in the auction for the UFO Digest, and he will not stop lording that over me. So uh, thanks for that, Martin. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, Robert Ward says, uh, Shag can keep making the Laura Gemser jokes. Oh, but my I would, God. I love it. How but is I, that on this show? How I, is that on this show? <laughs> 
He's not done yet. It's a who's who thing. Hold on, wait a minute. But I would 100% love Rob talking about Laura's films and will always comment about it. This is at least the second time all hail Laura. I just watched a bunch of her films and even non-Emmanuel films like The Alcove and Emmanuel on Taboo Island. And so my love is perfectly timed and primed right now. And then there was a whole bunch of follow-ups, including Martin. Uh, and then finally he comes to Robert Ward, come back, and he says, Rob has been finally worn down to covering all things Transformers. See, right here. So it's only a matter of time until he caves over Laura. Stay strong, brothers. I will get him eventually. XD, XD, XD. Okay. I will announce, Robert, you're going to be very happy, but an oh, no. upcoming episode of the Film and Water podcast, oh, we God. will be getting to some Laura Gemser. So look out for that. Congratulations, everybody. We've become porn. That's perfect. That's wonderful. She did more Seriously? than porn. She did more than porn. Stop it. How dare you? What are you going to cover? I'm, I'm covering. Porn? No, I'm covering a thriller called. Well, we'll wait until we get to it. Just trust not me. an Emmanuel movie? No, it's not an Emmanuel movie. Okay. It's not. Right. Me. No, oh it's not. Gosh. Really. It's going to be great. So, they, they okay. By the way, I should say, yes, folks. Obviously, she is smoking hot. Yes, absolutely. But this is not the place for this. <laughs> Go ahead, Ross. Anyway, so uh, speaking of Emmanuel, Chris Franklin from our network – I don't know. There's no segue there. Uh, from our network says, fun episode, guys, even with Sean being replaced by this new guy. Hey. I, have, I have this one at home, so I need to reread it, especially that ghost one because it's right up my alley. As for all this Marvin support, oy, I can get behind Wendy or even Wonder Dog, but not Marvin. I won't abide him in his squeaky voice. I love Frank Welker, Felker, love Frank Welker but Easy just you no. Yeah. Speaking of Frank Welker, Transformers next time, huh? Good luck reading that. As I've lamented before, those <laughs> 80s Marvel Digest looks like Charlton's third shift printed them in the Oh my god, I have to re- oh, I, I thought I could get through this. As I've lamented before, those 80s Marvels Digest look like Charlton's third shift printed them in the dark on cereal box day. <laughs> I love how obscure that joke is. It's like it's a joke about Charlton's printing process. That is right. like that is like insect level nerdlinger. Just nerding up on nerding. But I get it. it. That's what makes it fun. And the bow is on cereal box day, which Rob couldn't get out. But yeah, that's cereal box day. Yes, but of course, because yes, for those of you who don't know, Charlton also printed cereal boxes on their printers, which is why their comic looks so crappy. But anyway, he said, I look forward to the discussion either way. So thank you, Chris. I hope you enjoyed uh, what we talked about. You know, I just started watching uh, the show Powerless, which uh, you've given me some flack for already, by the way, privately. But as David as Gutierrez called it, viewerless. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, but, but it, it's worth it for Vanessa Hudgens alone, by the way. Just, just saying. Anyway, uh, the show is a lot more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be, and I'm really getting a kick out of it. But I found out, I just found out that there was an unaired pilot that they showed at Comic-Con one year, and then they went back and refilmed the whole thing. And there, two of the people that worked in the office were brother and sister, and they were Marvin and Wendy. Oh, that's fun. Which is crazy. Uh, and they ended up cutting him from the from the series, which is probably for the best. But anyway. <laughs> and now Gleek is part of uh, the Arrowverse. So now we know Spoilers. that Spoilers! Yeah. So, uh, Gothos Mansion, he says, hey, I think I started the whole Laura Gemser thing. Oh, my uh, God. Ball rolling when Rob and Shag said they liked well. I don't remember who they liked, but it wasn't Laura. Anyway, Rob, since my thick Jethro Bodine twang prevents me from entering the podcast universe. That doesn't stop Chris, Gothos. You have my permission. 
permission to take over and podcast about Laura. Just to make sure that you tackle the weighty issues in Laura's movies like, is Laura too hot to drive around in a 1976 Dodge Aspen in Emmanuel, New York? Or what is the meaning of the class struggles in La Alcova? Or what comic book characters do you wish Laura had played? Uh, Room of the Jungle Girl. If you're just going to spend an hour and a half going, damn, was Laura fine? Or I wish Laura had done a love scene with, insert hot B-movie actress here, while I hear the every time I watch one of, I hear that every time I watch one of her movies. Oh, and I forgot, Shag is always mentioning women being hot. Is Laura the only woman he doesn't think is hot? And sorry not to talk about the digest, but I haven't read this one. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, first of all, yes, I think Laura's hot. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> but it's just so weird that this has become a thing, guys. <laughs> and why do we talk... Why do we have to read it on the air? I just don't. Maybe understand. once I cover him on, on Film and Water, the fever will break. Yeah, because that's going to get it out of your system, watching her movies and staring at her. Yeah, that'll totally get that out of your well, system. Well, I'm just I'm saying sorry. everybody's leaving comments trying to demand me into doing it. Maybe once I do it, they'll stop. All the comments will go there, thankfully. That's what All I'm right. talking about. Anyway, uh, Captain Entropy writes, I listened to this yesterday as part of my Veterans Day celebration. My own experiences on active duty were neither as harrowing nor as bizarre as those detailed in this digest. Thank goodness. But, but the themes and the dilemmas still resonate across the generations. When I read these – sorry, when I read these, I'm always reminded that many – I'll get this right in a minute here, folks. I promise. When I read these, I'm always reminded that many men of the generation that created these stories had served in the military and even seen combat. I think Rob's guess that Bob Haney was employing insider knowledge was probably valid. And, you know, and, that, and that's fair. I mean a lot of these folks who were drawing these comics in the 60s had served. Absolutely. So um, it says, thank you for this, not just finding your joy but sharing it with us too. Aw. Well, thank you, Captain Entropy. And again, it's – the, the the Veterans Day specials that we've done, I mean, it's it, it doesn't do justice to those uh, those folks in the armed services, but it's it's a, it's our effort to give a nod and a salute, if you will, to the folks out there who put their lives on the line. So we appreciate. It. Absolutely, uh, Edo Boznar says, "Great show, guys. As usual, is that because or in spite of Shag Triumphant return? Uh, you did a really good rundown on this one. I've never had it, but now I wish I had, as it contains a great selection of stories with some top notch art." I had the other three digests released under the DC Special Series umbrella, Secret Origins of Superheroes, World's Finest, and Flash and His Friends. That series was really was a really strange beast. The first 17 issues were regular comics, albeit with a higher page count, so that the later issues even had the Dollar Comics logo on them, then two digests, then three more Dollar Comics, then back to digest, then the last three were Treasuries, all of which you covered on Treasury Cast. So yeah, if anyone has the entire set, there's no way to logically store them whether either in a long box or on a shelf, all in one place. <laughs> and then Catherine Entropy comes back and he says, this demands a wall display. <laughs> well, Rob, now in your new apartment, you can do that. Well, it's funny that you say that because I oh do. I now – no, calm down. Uh, Laura Gemser. No, no, no. I, have, I, actually have a, uh, I actually have a shelf here in my new studio with uh, some copies of my Razor's Edge. I have a bunch of copies of my favorite book of all time, mm -hmm. Razor's Edge, and they're on display now. Uh, like out, like like at a bookstore. It looks really cool. It was Kelly's idea. It's really fabulous. And it's like these books were always just sitting in a in in a, like a tub somewhere in storage because mm -hmm. they never had them out. And now they're all out in the in the in the the wonderful daylight. It's just wonderful. I'm so happy. It makes me happy to look at them. So again, that was totally Kelly's idea. Uh, anyway, Mike Dinas uh, leaves a comment. He says, "Great show, guys. I'm happy to see Digest cast this back. And it was a nice tribute to the Veterans Armistice Remembrance Day. I really liked your observations because as a kid, I." 
never did like any comics about war. I was reading fantastical superhero stories to get away from real life and war comics. Even silly ones like Haunted Tank were just too much for me. Too real and too graphic. That kind of scared me. Chris Franklin wasn't the only weenie as a kid. But hearing, <laughs> hearing this episode and seeing the scans give me better appreciation of these stories. Just from the art alone, they all look fantastic. And the Toth Mayer story certainly gave you value per word. So I do still have a couple of digests from when I was a kid. Mostly Superman's and the year's best. This makes me want to hunt down the ones I passed on, like this war-centric one, to find out what I was missing. Keep up the great work. P.S. I've never heard of or seen a movie with Laura Gemser. Oh. So maybe a Gemser cast would be a great way to me to learn of her. Can I call it Oeuvre? Thank you, Mike. I appreciate the support. <sighs> you know, Mike, uh, ignoring that last bit, uh, Mike makes a good point that these digests, I mean, they've been so wonderful for me because I – don't get a chance or haven't had that many chances to get exposed to non-superhero comic book stories. It just – I've never brushed up against – other than Sad Sack, I haven't really brushed against mm-hmm. up other – I'm not counting that as military, but just other genres. You know, That was humor. And so f- reading these digests really gives – has given us a chance to read a lot of different genres, and I just – I love it. I, I think it's fantastic. I especially love those anthology ones. Oh, so good. All right, then we've got a comment from Luke Giaconetti from the Two True Freaks Network, does shows such as Earth's Destruction Directive and many more. Now, Luke was the inspiration for our very first Veterans Day special with Sergeant Rock, and so uh, we gave him a shout-out this time when we did the next one. He says, I have this digest along with the uh, two other DC War Digests. I really dig this one for the depth and variety of different stories it presents. We range from the regular features like Sergeant Rock, Unknown Soldier, and Enemy Ace to short strips akin to backups common in the war titles and even a weird war tale. So this digest does a great job of presenting a cross-section of the types of stories one might find in the DC War Comics line of the time. Thank you also for your kind words about our men and women in uniform. I was struck with the idea for War Comics Month several years back as a way to honor and celebrate the services, sorry, the service and sacrifices of our veterans, as well as shine a light on the War Comics I have come to really appreciate over the last decade or so of my life. When one considers that many of the creators of War Comics, especially in the Silver and Bronze Age, were in fact themselves veterans, I think it becomes even more fitting. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, thank you, Luke, for giving us the idea and inspiring us to do it. So remember, folks, in November of every year, uh, use the hashtag War Comics Month and talk about some different war comics that you enjoy. Absolutely. Uh, the next comment we got from is from uh, me, Hermano, David, Ace Gutierrez. He says, I'm with Shag about the love the, for the unknown soldier, but perhaps mm-hmm. the most uh, nuanced version of that character was the Vertigo series. It was written by Josh Dysert. I recommend it highly. Also, you can't beat Toth ever, ever. He'll tell you himself. <laughs> this is very true. Alex Toth knew how good he was. So. Oh, okay. I didn't understand yeah. that last bit. Okay, yeah, no. interesting. Yeah, yep. yeah. yeah, that Unknown Soldier story was – I know Rob thought the um, – I think you thought it was, was the Rock story or the Enemy Ace story was the best, but no, the Unso- Unknown Soldier story was so good in that digest. Oh. A lot of good stuff. It's all really good stuff. And, and it's true. as has been commented upon just here is so many of these guys were veterans. A lot of these guys like Alex Toth didn't want to do superheroes. He didn't like superheroes. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you he would do war stories. And so you would read these war comics and you're like, wow, these are some heavy hitters in these things. Because Alex Toth didn't want to do Superman, you know, but he would do a story about biplanes and right. ghosts, you know, and stuff like that. So that's why you had some amazing work uh, in these uh, digests. Uh, from these uh, war comics, excuse me. Uh, and then we got a comment from Ward Hill Terry. He says, even those of us who don't regularly read war comics must acknowledge a truth. Any exploration of DC's various war books will yield an amazing variety of excellent comic art. There you go. This is what I just said. Absolutely. There's just – the artwork in these books is just off the charts good. Yeah, so good. 
Well, folks, that's it for feedback. Remember, if you want to be uh, acknowledged on the show, go out to our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com. Go to the Digest Cast show. Go to episode 12 in this case and leave us a comment, and we will read some portion of it on the next episode. So please do that. Speaking of which, next episode, it's my pick. I get to pick the Digest, and I've decided, folks, I am going to boomerang that right back to you guys at home. Next episode of Digest Cast, the issue will be selected by our Patreon supporters. That's right. For those of you who are Patreon uh, supporters, go out to the Patreon site. You will find a poll there. It should be up by now, by the time this episode airs, and uh, you will have a chance to vote on, I don't know, we'll probably give you four or so different Digests to choose from, and you guys will get to pick the next Digest we cover on Digest Cast. So it's, it's all going to be Transformers Choices, right? by the way um <laughs> i'm kidding anyway so yeah and if you're not a supporter on patreon please consider it you know you can support us for as little as a dollar a month uh and um we'd love to have the support and you could vote in the poll so all right well rob until next uh, i'm sorry why don't you tell the people at home where else they could uh find the show and places like that well, there's we're on Twitter uh, as as DigestCast. You can find us there, and uh, we are said we're available on uh, Apple Podcasts, of course, and on Stitcher. Uh, and we will think we will be coming to Spotify at some point. We've been adding shows on the Spotify. We haven't added DigestCast yet, but I think we're going to do that because uh, yep. we're having some nice success over there. Exactly, because you know when people think of their favorite pop culture music, uh, they immediately go to thinking about uh, War Comic Digest. Digest, exactly, Comics. absolutely. Yep. Exactly. So, all right. Again, go out to the website, firewaterpodcast.com and digestcast. Leave your comments there. And, folks, that's it. So, remember big things come in small packages. Ravage, eject, eject. Ravage.